This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hi, I'm Bill Hutchison. This morning on Discovery, we'll be featuring more podcasts from Seneca College journalism students. Up first, Demi Lola Anime talks to John Pittman about his song, Homeostasis. This was part of a bigger project focusing on Toronto jazz artists coping with COVID. Usher your first child into the world. When you're John Pittman, you write your baby boy a song. I wrote it for my son before he was born, so it it kind of holds a special place to me. The song, which he calls homeostasis, spelt with an I, is all about paying homage to Edward. It was a little bit of a of a, a joke. My wife's name is Siobhan, spelt starting S I O, so. She often goes by C or Sio, and then I started signing emails to her early on as Geo, just to play off the I-O bit. And then when we got our first sort of like, uh, we got our first sonogram image, we looked at it and we said, yeah, the sonogram, he, he kind of looks like he has Homer Simpson's head. And so then we were calling him Homer for a little bit, and then I started calling him Homeo because of the G-O-C-O thing. And then to me, homeostasis spelt the way I spelt it, incorporating his nickname into it, was thinking of the new state of normal is that something's going to be a little off kilter and a little weird all the time. And thinking that life with Edward, I know it's going to be like a new adventure, a new direction, something kind of unexpected all the time. The new the new state of equilibrium is going to be completely out of balance all the time with a new adventure around every corner. And, uh, and that's the thing. That's the new the new stable. Homeostasis became a joyful song that Pittman says reflects Edward as the bubbly child that he is. The writing process, he says, involved getting inspiration from some of his favorite trumpeters. I tried to, to listen to a few tunes that gave me that sense of like, oh, I just, I feel joyful. I feel uplifted by this. I really spent a lot of time listening to and thinking about the music of Thelonious Monk. I'm thinking about how I'm feeling. I'm thinking about what I what I know of Edward at that early point and and how that made me feel. And then I started to think about, okay, what what is music that that gives me those feelings? And I tried to just sort of listen to a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then what was it about these tunes that were starting to make me feel that way? And how can I incorporate that to get a final product that sort of has the feeling that I'm looking for that seems like it's reflective of uh, of Edward? The tune starts off with the piano and veers off into what Pittman says most reflects Edward. There's that sort of like light lilting bounce to it. And that kind of comes from the, um, just from the way the melody plays out, but it comes a little bit from the the two feel of it. So it's just sort of got that And it just sort of has that bouncing, lilting along. And then it's sort of a swinging thing and all of a sudden changing the articulation so that it's not swung and it's more straight and dip, 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 dip.
to me that those types of playful bits about it are just so so much like him and this joyful bounce that he has. That musicianship is another bond between father and son. He surprises me all the time in joyful ways with the, the musicianship that just sort of naturally comes out of him. Ever since he was young, I've always just tried to let, like I've got a lot of musical instruments around the house and I've always just tried to let him touch and, and play and, uh, you know, just trying to make him feel like all of this is, is something that is something you can be a part of and try to always make it, you know, you're always welcome kind of thing. And hopefully that gives him some inspiration in his life, whatever he wants to do with it. And fans have loved every part of homeostasis. Performing that piece has always been really fun and it does seem to be a, a piece that uh, makes a connection with an audience. To John, someone being born is such a creative and magical thing. And that's all the inspiration that he needs. A new person is such a creative thing it's like the essence of creation that it just to me puts you in that creative mindset of wanting to express that there's so much that you feel that you want to express the whole anticipation and excitement of edward coming uh into the world was just it it was so inspiring for me and just it really put me in a creative place Next up, Luana Saturnino with What a Waste, a look at how we can clean up our planet by cleaning up our act. What a waste. What a Waste is your sustainability podcast with a focus on waste reduction and science. Just picture this scene. You are a busy person living in a big city and then you decide to take a coffee because you need that rush that caffeine rush to go out with your day then you go to your local coffee shop you order a cup of coffee it comes into a paper cup uh, you drink your hot beverage and then you throw out the paper cup in the recycling bin it happens that that cup will never never be recycled it will go to a landfill. Do you know why? Paper cups are liars. They are not only made by paper. They are a mix, a chemical composition of cardboard paper and polyethylene. It happens that polyethylene is a plastic. Cassandra Shallock is a researcher at Rockman Lab in University of Toronto. She is also the community outreach leader for the U of T trash team. She explains more about the situation with paper cups and how they made a photo that went viral and made people see what is really a paper cup. We found this great um, it was a paper cup that had disintegrated, but it had kept the plastic lining that was on the inside along with the plastic top. Oh, and we had posted that. that and it had, yeah, and it had gone viral and it was fantastic to see people were like, oh, it's not actually just a paper cup. Like there is, it is plastic waste. Polyethylene is a petroleum-based plastic, which means it takes about 400 years 
to degrade in natural conditions. Also, paper cups are a mixed material. You see, it's a mix of paper and polyethylene. Mixed materials are impossible to recycle. You have to have one material of each kind. It has to be only paper or only plastic. But when you have it close by, so close by chemically, it goes to the landfill. You cannot recycle because recycling is a chemical process and you have to, to separate rightfully the, the, the materials. That's why what we know as paper cups are not recycled and not compostable. Not recycled because the mix of materials, the chemical mixing, and not compostable because of the, the plastic lining, the plastic based on petroleum. Dr. Rafaela Gutierrez is a postdoc in social sciences. She works alongside Cassandra Sherlock in U of T trash team and Rochman lab to provide information about sustainability for, for their community in Toronto. We produce with uh, crude oil, right? And the crude oil is not biodegradable. The process that we are doing now, uh, they will uh, break up and the plastic will break up in smaller uh, pieces and smaller pieces and more smaller, 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 uh, but they, they don't decompose. Um, so they turn into microplastics. Exactly. That's it. Uh, yeah. And that's what uh, the lab, the Rockman lab, mainly they focus on microplastics and all the effects of microplastics on uh, environment, on the environment. Uh, so that's, that's how plastics are made right now. We have the... Uh, Nowadays, most of them are made of oil, uh, and this is not uh, biodegradable. Given all this amount of information, regular paper cups would be considered to be a single-use product. It's five minutes of use for 400 years of consequences. The idea would be to use reusable cups, right? The problem is, in pandemic times, COVID pandemic times, most of the shops are not accepting reusable cups or even cups that you can return in fear of contamination. That's why another single-use alternative is calling attention. It's biodegradable plastic. Biodegradable plastic is polylactic acid, so PLA. Bioplastic made out of from cornstarch, tapioca, manioc fiber, and sugarcane. All of these are re renewable materials, vegetable materials. It may not take 400 years to decompose, but the other problem is that it's not that fast also to decompose. There are facilities that can compose PLA, but they are not that numerous. They are not that regular, and the material can take some months to, to pass out to this process. I think they're often um, 
advertised as it's going to just degrade fully within the environment, but often um, some sort of plasticizer is going to be added into the product so it can stay um, somewhat um, structured and um, uh, be viable for a long time. That's not okay. the right word. but <laughs> um, And so it doesn't fully decompose, which is an issue. So um, there are certainly, I'm sure, biodegradable. Um, I think I, um, maybe some styrofoams are made out of potato starch, which will fully degrade at a point, but it's tough. What are um, plasticides? Can you explain? It's just um, types of poly, so it's still types of plastic are ingrained uh, or integrated into the product. So it's not fully just a plant material or um, just solely paper. It'll still be some sort of um, a type of plastic. So it, uh, it'll never, um, it, it, I guess it helps it just stay structured and um, allows it to last longer, which is essentially the whole point of plastic as a material, right? Like it's, a, it's great a high at performance, that. right? A high, yes. high performance material. They are recyclable, but not biodegradable right now. So it's a very, it's a different process that they needed to go through for recycling. You have to check in your city, how do you uh, discard your material? Because every city is different. Here in Toronto, we have uh, some material that you can put here. It's not the same that you can put like in the neighbor, like Barry. It's completely different. So you need to make sure that you uh, you are familiar what what your city provides. That's why. Um, uh, here in the city of Toronto, they have the waste, waste wizard. I don't know if you know about that, but it's a, an app or also you can pull it and they have a website. You just type the material and they will provide the information. So uh, I believe here in Toronto, if I'm not wrong, I, I can Google it, but I think uh, it's you put in the uh, garbage, the plastic, uh, biodegradable plastic. It's, it's not recyclable here. Also, some food packaging companies who are eco-friendly can provide another kind of paper cups, a biodegradable one made out of PLA and bamboo fiber. Regular paper cups nowadays are made out of paper fiber, cellulose fiber, that came from slow-growing trees. But bamboo is a fast-growing plant. Perhaps it's less damaging than the regular celluloses. Taking in consideration is less wasteful to produce than celluloses. You just listened to What a Waste podcast. I am Luana Saturnino, host and producer. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink. If you'd like to hear more of the podcast from Seneca Journalism students, go to SenecaJournalism.ca. Staying with the idea of cleaning up our world, in A Little on Litter, Patricia Mohammed looks at the impact litter has on our environment. Litter is a huge problem in our communities. You may not see it much because of all the snow, but before we know it, all the snow will melt, exposing substantial amounts of litter. Before we get there, let's talk a little 
about litter. Ontario.ca estimates almost 10,000 metric tons of plastic waste enters our lakes and rivers each year from Canada and the United States. That's the weight of 1,400 African elephants. Many people know the impact that littering has on the environment, but according to environmental activist and editor and publisher of the weekly newsletter This Week in Litterland, Sheila White, it has a significant effect on communities. There are negative impacts to littering. I can't think of one positive one. There's the psychological effect of litter and impact on a community because it's a drag. It drags you down and... The studies show that a clean space uh, can remain clean and that it brings higher property values, uh, better sense of esteem and pride in the community. There are studies that link property values and crime directly to the presence of litter. So on all kinds of levels, particularly social levels, that is getting together in your public spaces and enjoying them, being able to use your waterways and know that they're not clogged with plastic. Every day we walk by multiple pieces of litter that we didn't put there, so we don't care about it. But according to White, we should. If we don't care about it, who's going to care about it? And what's going to happen when that accumulation chokes the planet, which is the way we're going now? Uh, I'm sure everyone loves natural beauty of the wilderness and the out of doors, loves the idea of swimming in clean water and being a friend to the environment and a friend to the creatures who share our planet. So that's one big reason to care. We're all part of this very fragile, lovely planet with so much beauty and promise. Why would anyone want to destroy that? I think we all have an obligation to want to try to solve that by breaking our littering habit and by picking up and disposing of litter if we see it. There are three simple ways everyone can be part of the solution to littering and not the problem. Don't do it. Speak up when you see it happening and pick it up. These are just basic one, two, threes of litter prevention. The more you do that, the less likely people will be to litter. Let's all do our part to save our beautiful planet and pick up a little litter. I'm Patricia Mohammed for Say Radio News. And finally, Clément Ajiman focuses on a volleyball star playing for Seneca Sting in Women in Sports. Hello listeners, it's your man Claymore Arjuman and welcome once again to another episode of our podcast Women in Sports and today it's all about women playing volleyball and the challenges they face in the volleyball world. The question is, can she spike enough? So growing up many people asked me if I didn't play soccer, what other sports path would I have chosen? And they always find it surprising when I say volleyball. Because, you know, a tall black dude with my physique should probably opt to play for basketball or rugby or even boxing. But to be honest, I grew up with a dad who was a volleyball fanatic. He was crazy about volleyball. And I know he was a national champion at college level back in Ghana. 
And he always hoped that if there was any sports me and my younger sister would have been interested in, it should have been volleyball. And then there's my mom, a huge, diehard, go-crazy soccer fan. Well, fortunately for my mom, and unfortunately for my dad, I preferred and loved soccer more. Also, I was naturally good in soccer, right? Compared to volleyball. And as for my sis, she's a whole different breed. She opted for modeling, and guess what? Now she's famous on TikTok. Yep. Anyways, enough about my family shenanigans. So, researching into women's volleyball here and its development here in Canada made me see Seneca's sporting organization and really appreciate it as a whole. You know, in Europe, volleyball is really huge and they have professional competitive elite leagues for both men and women and the stadiums are always full regardless of your gender playing. Well, surprisingly, I discovered Canada introduced their professional league in 2017. Can you imagine just five years ago? And this is this is a true story. The first game I attended at Seneca was to watch the female volleyball team play. And I kid you not, the stands were almost full. And the atmosphere were just like the men's basketball team playing their home games here at Seneca. It was just fun. It was just energetic. It was just a positive vibration. And it was just really great to be there cheering the women's volleyball team play. Today we have a brilliant and a very interesting player with us. Her name is Gabrielle Wicks or as she prefers to be called Gabby. We are going to find out from Gabby if as a female volley player she's ever had to face some tough challenges in her personal career based on her gender and also if you're at Seneca what does she think about the whole Seneca sporting organization and their effort to promote equality here at Seneca. So Gabby. How did you get into volleyball in the first place? And what is it about the sport that you love so much? I started playing after a gymnastics coach told me that I was too tall to keep going in gymnastics. So I decided to switch my sports. I like the competition aspect and I like team sports. I like the camaraderie. Wait, wait, wait a minute. So you're saying you ditched gymnastics for volleyball based on your physical appearance? Like, can you elaborate more on that? I was pretty young. I think I was about grade three or four. And I was heavily into gymnastics. I really liked it and I thought it was really fun. But I was growing at a faster pace than most of the girls around me. And my gymnastics coach told me that if I wanted to continue to pursue sports, that gymnastics would be too difficult for me because she figured that I was going to grow tall. So she actually suggested soccer, basketball, and my parents were the ones that said, why not volleyball? So in your life as a female athlete, have you ever had to face any sort of discrimination? I would say, especially start, starting in high school, I started to notice it. I, I come from a family of, we're all athletic, but I do have, I just have a sister. So I've never grown up around brothers. And my dad is a complete girl dad. So he has never seen anything less from my sister and I. But I noticed in high school, I went to a specific high school for athletes. And I noticed in high school, whenever I'd go to the weight rooms, it was always, you'd get kind of stared at. Uh, if you're a girl in the weight section and it only got until I went to Seneca that I really started to notice that there's girls in every section of the gym and that there's girls lifting heavier weights than guys so I, I really took going to college to see that that women shouldn't be afraid of gym sessions and lifting weight and how exactly did you cope your way out of those stairs 
I really helped having female coaches. When it came to Seneca, I had male coaches, but in high school, I had um, I had a male and a female coach, and the female coach, she really pushed to be to lift the same weights as the guys, to do everything because there's nothing about a woman's physique that stops you from lifting just as heavy or doing the physical things that women don't necessarily think that they can do. And then when I came to Seneca, I have and still have a strength and conditioning coach, um, Sarah, who really pushed, like she even combined weightlifting sessions where we would have the women's volleyball team and like the men's baseball team or the rugby team. And all of a sudden it was just to get that stereotype out of your head that, Hey, like you guys are all doing the exact same thing. It doesn't matter if you're lifting the same weights, heavier weights, lighter weights, you're all there to better yourselves and to better yourself through your sport. So it truly doesn't matter what you look like or what you're doing. Wow. That's nice to hear. And talking about Seneca, let, let's just talk about Seneca for a second. I really want us to focus about the sporting organization because I truly believe they are doing a fantastic job when it comes to promoting all sports at Seneca. Tell me, how do you feel about Seneca sporting organization as a whole? And what's your experience here at Seneca as a female athlete? I truly think that Seneca did a, a really phenomenal job with promoting volleyball and a lot of that kind of not national level sports and stuff like when you look at basketball there's NBA and that's that's something that's played all the time like you look at soccer rugby it's something that's always on TV when it comes to sports like volleyball that's really known as an Olympic sport if not an amateur sport so I found that Seneca was really good with promoting especially on like every corner of the school there's billboards of all the teams not just volleyball and then we all have a separate instagram page which is awesome because then we get to promote what we want to with regards to volleyball what's happening and what i found um the seneca coordinators are really good with promoting other teams to go to each other's games my friends who went to different colleges and universities that if if you weren't winning games they weren't going to put effort into promoting your team but i found with seneca it's always been positive and if you weren't winning then it was just that much of a promotion because it's like no we want to get people out there get them ready want them to see a full crowd so that they play to their highest potential i completely agree with you 100% and that's really a truthful observation about Seneca Sports and Organization. I really would like to add or state again that Seneca really deserves a big applause and all the accolades in this world just for how much effort they put in promoting all sports and also how much they thrive in promoting gender equality in their sporting world. It's really impressive and very encouraging. Anyways, what are the future plans for Gabby in volleyball? I hope to get into some sort of coaching or assistant coaching in the future, whether that be elementary school teams, high school, or whether I go back to Seneca and look for a assistant coaching gig or manager or something like that. I truly love the sport and I want to keep involved with it. And if I can't be playing, I do like the logistics side of it. So I think that with time, I could learn to be a good coach. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. That was Gabby. We definitely do wish Gabby Wicks the best of luck in her future career, hoping she accomplishes all her dream. And to Seneca Sports and Organization, I'd say keep on doing the good work. It's rather unfortunate COVID has cancelled all the sporting activities this year because I really, really do miss going to watch the home games with all that cheerful atmosphere. Well, one would say it's all for the better now and definitely for our safety as well. 
Well, folks, this ends another cracking episode of Women in Sports, as we heard from Gabrielle Wicks. This episode was produced by my favorite person in the world right now, the brilliant Cherise Smiley. And just watch out for an exclusive last episode of this podcast. As always, I'm going to be your loyal host, Clément Ajuan. That's our show for this week. If you're interested in our broadcast journalism program, go to SenecaCollege.ca. Thanks for joining us. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.